We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 470 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Nathan Fenton, he's Emil Evanesi, and while Tuesday's 3-1 loss against Real Valladolid didn't give us much to talk about, all the news that has happened since then has given us more than enough to talk about. I think, Emil, the only two, we'll say, talking points from that Real Valladolid match to me were Pablo Torre, good, and Eric Garcia, very, 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 very bad. I mean, the team as a whole wasn't great, and they lost 3-1. But, you know, I feel like you were at the parade, or at least it, it, it went by your house. So you know that there was an emotional drop-off that was coming. Fortunately, it happened both Real Sociedad and Real Valladolid. Exactly. And then, I mean, if you look, too, the Barca Femini, who hadn't lost, they hadn't lost, I believe, a home game on Catalan, Catalan soil or a home game in something like four years. They had, you know, they had won about 70 consecutive league matches until a couple of weeks ago, they came out and lost their final game of the season too. I just think there was such a, the the emotional outpouring was really something to see during that parade. And I, and I feel like, you know, there was a little bit of mission accomplished on both people, you know, both teams' parts. Barca doesn't have anything to play for and, you know, didn't have anything to play for in these last three, four games. And at that point, Barca Femini still had, you know, two and a half weeks to prepare for the Champions League final. I think there's a little bit of a hangover. I mean, in some cases there might be literal hangovers, but and you know, but just also the emotional hangover. Yeah, I said this in the five headlines that Lewandowski is playing for the Pichichi. Ter Stegen was playing, unfortunately, probably he's playing for that clean sheet. He still technically is, mm. but now he can just tie. He mm. cannot actually hold the record, I believe. Mm. Or maybe he can get the record by one, but you have to get a clean sheet in both those. But either way. So Ter Stegen was fighting for that record that seems to now be lost because they keep shipping goals in the last three games, as well as, as we mentioned too, again, players like Pablo Torre fighting, I think, him alone, basically fighting for his life next season. In the case, as I mentioned, of Ansu and of Ferran Torres and even Rafinha, Kessie, I think those are players that, I I know that rumors come out every day, but I feel like their futures are pretty much already, say, set in stone. That's why I've said a billion times, and we'll talk about it later in the show about transfer stuff, that I've felt now for about three months that Ansu is going to be leaving the club. I felt it. It's in the pit of my stomach. And just for a lot of different reasons, I think the club is going to give up on him, regardless of what happens in the transfer window. I think, not even give up, but I think they're going to sell him to try to do other things. I just think that's what's going to happen. And especially, again, with other players. Kessie, I think, is either knows he's gone, or knows he's staying, and I think that's done and dusted. Mm. Again, Pablo Torre would be the only example of a player that next season, if when the musical chairs does kind of play out, if Barcelona need a high interior, are they going to keep him around? Are they going to try to lower him out? Or are they going to sell him for you know two cents on the dollar? Well, the so what's interesting is I think the what you said about the situation that Pablo Torre was in and his maybe his motivations coming into this game and how they are different in terms of uncertainty around where he will be and what position he'll be in. I mean, I think there's just even a simpler way is all of these other guys who were, you know, kind of central to this league title, the first one in four years. I keep going back to this, to this feeling. I mean, I feel like this was a game without stakes, really. You know what I mean? For, for most of these guys, because even if someone is going to be leaving the club, whether it's Ansu, whether it's Ferran Torres, whomever, 
like these last two games of the season, it's highly unlikely that even anything you do in one of these games right. with the league title already sealed is going to dramatically, you know, you're, you, the, the book is already out on you as a player. Teams that want you will pay for you or they won't. And so, yeah, I think it's just been a little bit of that. I think, yeah, I think they kind of sleepwalk through the performance, frankly. I mean, it was just, you know, I mean, like I said, I, I haven't seen the game in its entirety. I, you know, I saw like a five minute highlight clip and I've read a couple of post-game post-mortems. And it, yeah, it really just seemed like it's kind of mission accomplished because there's not a, there's not a Copa del Rey final. There's not a, a Champions League final or anything. So this is just kind of, you know, you're putting in FaceTime at the office until, until it's time to go on vacation. Yeah, I would say most players look, not say disinterested, but yeah, Real Vitalid, we're fighting for something. And I think, again, credit does go to Real Vitalid for saying, hey, we're trying to avoid relegation. And this all matters to us here at home. And for Barcelona, as I had said, Pablo Torre, was good in the game. I thought even he started slow. Mm. His connections with the young and Balde mm. and Gabi just really weren't there. It didn't look clean. It didn't look what it needed to be. But then by about the 25th minute, he and De Young kind of found that game. And yeah. looked, the midfield looked a little more settled. I think everybody looked a lot better. The only really player that we can get on and heap on is I think people always get mad at me when I don't mention when Eric Garcia stinks. And he not always stunk, but he very greatly stunk like to the point where mm. I don't think that match decides whether or not he's leaving or not. But it's another example of him as a pivot may not even be good enough for that backup spot. I mean, and that's why mm-hmm. if Arsenal are going for, we're going to talk about the pivots later, but I, that's why I almost disqualify him from even beginning that conversation where I, I think he is potentially the fifth center back next season, but they already be signed Marcus Alonso. And if you're yeah. asking Kool-Aid's with their gun to the head, would they take Marcus Alonso or Eric Garcia? Both of them are probably going to pull the trigger on you before you can get the gun mm-hmm. out of their hand. <laughs> but yes. that said, I think the, I think at, even at this juncture, maybe, people will take Alonzo. As I said, I would take Eric Garcia for that as your fifth center back. But again, he also has performances like that where there is nothing to defend. There is nothing qualifying about him, especially as a pivot. Just defensively, it was, yeah, it was a mess. Um, but again, mm-hmm. the club, I mean, not the club, but the rest of the team wasn't up to it. And I think, yeah, that's all I have to say from Real Valladolid. Because yep. the very next day, the big news that dropped, and I had to wait a few days, kind of let it soak in. And I like this too, to let it soak in. We all saw that Jordi Alba, the reason why it was so quiet is because he did it on his own term. He announced that he's yeah. leaving Barcelona. It did not. It did not. Was it was not the club, let's say, pushing him out like they mm-hmm. tried to last year, where they started negotiating with Inter Milan. Inter Milan was like, "Does he want to come?" And then Jordi Alba was like, "No, I don't want to come." No. And then Barca was like, "Well, I guess we're gonna hang the phone up now, even though you know we're really working on this deal." And now this, yeah, on his own, it seems like with his kids and with everybody else, that it's time for him to go. It's probably related somewhere with Busquets. I think there is some kind of connection between the two of them leaving at the same time. But more importantly, for the Jordi Alba news, from a Barcelona sense at least, because there are basically two things we have to do, Emil. We have to wax poetic about Jordi Alba. We have to give him some compliments. And then we also have to talk about what this means for Barcelona. So let's actually start with that one there, because he is giving up and forgiving a large part of his remaining salary next season. That is reportedly waiving 50% of his deferred salary. Remember, okay. if salary numbers are to be believed, his 20.5 this season was only going to go up. So he made about one-eighth of the total salary wow. for the team this season. So losing what would have been close to next season, one-sixth of the total salary of your books on just Jordi Alba, getting rid of one-sixth of your salary in one fell swoop like that because he That's has reached contact. Right. That is beyond tremendous. Like, I, I yeah. keep saying this, that, like, I, I even had the, the question, what, two two shows ago was who is the transfer domino or what, what needs to happen for something to change. And I don't want to use this hyperbole, but the club, I, I mean, I would believe that the club did not have it in their viability plan for the Liga that they were going to get this done. And that's why you will yeah. very quickly in the next few days, see that Barcelona will likely have a one-to-one now because Jordi Alba leaving was the huge difference of that. Yeah. Even I know Frankie de Young really could be the biggest domino if he decides to extend his contract over X number of years and, and, mm-hmm. and diversify his, his number. But everybody else now seems to be under some kind of reasonable salary structure. Any other example? But yeah, I mean, but now Jordi Alba leaving, as I said, I'll throw it to you because again, that is just number wise, uh, just beyond, I think, what Barcelona could have dreamed of. That is, it really is huge. And I don't know if he did it to help the club or what, but um, it is a massive help to the club. And I think the what I was thinking about as you were speaking about Frankie De Jong being the last, you know, the the legacy mega contract. And I know, I mean, he's getting just such astronomical money that it would be virtually impossible to be value for money at the at the salary that he gets. But even that being said, I think he's 
an overpaid, excellent midfielder. And you can at least swallow that and extend his contract because he's at least in prime age, you know? So you're, you might be overpaying, but at least you're overpaying for the prime years of an excellent player's career. Right. And rather than watching Jordi Alba just kind of taper off and, you know, he's 34. Yeah. yeah, Coast into the sunset. I mean, he's, yeah, yeah. So if you're going to pay the big bucks at the very least, you know, it might be a, it might be some, some degree of overpay, but at least you're paying a star midfielder who's still in his twenties. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Yeah, I mean, I think just like I said with Busquets, the same thing with Alba. There are a large swath of the fan base that especially skews younger that mm-hmm. say that he left too late. That Jordi Alba, you know, once Liverpool happened, they had to get, they had to exile and they extradite him and his time was over once Liverpool happened, right? Because Jordi Alba's whole career for, again, a generation that lives online is going to be remembered from a meme instead of over 450 appearances he made, the connections with Messi that he had. Yeah, like the mind meld that he had, yeah. Yeah, winning six league titles, five Copa del Reyes, one Champions League, 458 total appearances, 99 assists in his time, scored a bunch of goals. Seems like so many bangers, so many good Galazos and not even... And they weren't necessarily in big moments, but he did have game winners as well. And so Jordi Alba, <laughs> that's funny because in our in our minds, I think there again a swath of the fan base will say, "I only have, oh, I only choose to remember the bad memories about him." But then in the same breath, Kool Aid have to ask, "Is he the best left back of in Barcelona's history?" 
And that's a fair question. And I on on Twitter, yeah. I upset many of our other famous guests on this show that they come <laughs> on at different times because again, my top seventy five list came out again. And I know people get annoyed yeah. by that, but listen, I very rarely do I, as you know, Emil, get myself in trouble by saying anything. And nothing <laughs> people matter than ranking players and lists yeah. and things that can be debated. So let me just stir the pot a little bit. This is the only way I stir the pot, but making lists. It's very boring. But anyway, is Jordi Alba a Barcelona legend? As I have all these legends behind me always. Would I yes. put Jordi Alba on this poster, on the on this list, right? Those are questions yes. I ask. Well, my question first is, how do you define a legend? <laughs> is that a top 25 player? Uh, but, you know, for me, I think Barcelona legends with the hundreds of players that have played for the club, I felt like 75 is a fair list where I'm at right now. So I have Alba at 47 behind and the only reason i say this is i say what kind of players it's not a matter of like an exact ranking right yeah. right almost do it in tiers like right where it's just like this is a group of the absolute like well there's messy above but then the next group is xavi iniesta cruyff and uh, you know and then ronaldinho or and then or or maybe just those three and then, you know and then there's like there's kubala and ronaldinho and yeah, exactly. and yeah, yeah the, the dream team and all those guys yeah right and then and then you kind of go down your tiers then you have the likes of we'll say like PK and I don't know some some of the other greats of the, of the same time period. I'm I'm being almost like looking behind me as I'm, <laughs> as I'm doing this, but like or PK and Luis Suarez are there together, right? Like they're they're legends of uh, of a certain time, and they're comparable to Kuman actually. Like where Kuman's a little yeah. bit above them, but it's it's a similar to you get the idea. Can I can I kind of um, so I've been thinking about this as as you were talking, and I'm trying to think of my knee jerk, almost my my vibes based assessment of Jordi Alba's legacy. And I mean, look, I think he's, he's undoubtedly the most accomplished just as far as, you know, the, the accolades and the team success and everything. I think he's the most accomplished left back in club history. And if he's off the top of my head, I can't think of who the sort of the, the couple yeah. stiffest competitors would be, but well, I, I did, well, well, yeah, I, I did yeah. the word for you. So I, ah. what I was going to say is, yeah, so what I was going to say is I put Alba for how important he was at the club, for even yeah. the ups and downs, I take that into account. Yeah. I have in the same kind of category as the Jose Ramon Alexanco from the late '80s. Didn't okay. do a lot of winning. Club yep. captain Luis Enrique, who who was a, an important forward. I mean, this is a player. Yeah, Luis Enrique, was a player, was an important forward. Scored yeah. some big goals, had some big moments, and then one of the old goalkeepers from the '20s, Ferenc Plotko, mm -hmm. just just kind of like a legacy yeah. kind of. For him, and then Philip Koku, which was oh. also, I think he, I believe he was one of the fastest to get the captain's armband in club history. It was also because oh. the team stuck at the time in the late nineties. Like yeah, that was the that was the Van Hall years, right? Yeah, but I think uh, one of the better contemporary, uh, two of the better contemporaries, I should say, for Jordi Alba is Rakitic and Bajir Stain, two players that won trophies. Okay, yeah, were never, you know, they were never the most essential or important players in those teams, but they were important role players, and you almost devalue how significant they were. How many times? that managers who were winning trophies put them on their team sheets as the first name or not the first name, but the first name at that spot. And they were, they, it was unparalleled. So my list, as far as left backs go, Juan Segura, who people heard me say before, Juan Segura, the great captains of the fifties, he did play as a left center back, but a left back. So technically, technically yeah. he's a left back, but I don't want to get into a whole like inverting the pyramid thing and tell you how right. fullbacks didn't exist until like the late 80s. Yeah, 90s. Basically, yeah. Like fullbacks until the 90s were not what we consider them to be. So Jordi Alba. I'm actually rereading inverting the pyramid as we speak. So <laughs> just, yeah. Uh... So, right. So like once there is technically the first left back or, or and, and to say great left back, he, he won those trophies back in the 50s yeah. and the 60s. He played, I mean, he's a captain, played a ton. Like he, so I have him at 37 as a player. Alba is at 47, and then Sergi Barzwan, mm -hmm. the left back of the Dream Team, I have mm -hmm. a 53, and then Eric Albidal, I have at 69, just mm -hmm. because he only made 125 appearances. He didn't yeah. play that much, but again, obviously, uh, if I'm, you know, when you go back to the my favorite version of FC Barcelona, Eric Albidal is a left exactly. Back. So again, and and when it sums up 47, 53, and 69, we are splitting hairs, yes. but I think that is the category. It's Alba, it's Sergi, it's it's Albidal, and that's the top three. And then the drop-off when it comes to left back, I mean, now you're talking about like Maxwell. <laughs> like yeah. Adriana, that, that is the step, yeah. the jump down at left back. So yes, I think there is a firm argument if we count Sagara as a center back that Jordi Alba is the most accomplished. That is, I think, undisputed, but that he might be the best left Just back. Just the best, yeah. Yeah. You know what I was thinking? So this is, it's time for my obligatory cross-sport and, you know, namely NBA comparisons the the legacy of Jordi Alba he almost reminds me of someone that would be you know he's 
like your ultra elite role player, you know, maybe almost like Draymond Green-esque where he wouldn't like he'll make for in, in American sports, he would make for very annoying Hall of Fame conversations. And because people well, like, like oh, what about like a Michael Cooper? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I mean. Like, and, and, and you know, as a Laker fan, I love him. But, you know, it, it's those I think he would make for very polarizing and annoying Hall of Fame conversations where some people would say that, you know, this guy, like on talent alone, he has no business being in the Hall of Fame and others would do count the rings and all that. And uh, so, but I think it's really interesting, but he was absolutely indisposable to like, he, he's almost like a better Derek Fisher. Yeah. You know, like, cause Fisher was around for all five of the rings and super, super important. And if he was just a little bit better, there would just, there would be Hall of Fame buzz around him. And Jordy Alba strikes me as that kind of guy. He played for some of the best teams, you know, and with these incredible teammates, but he, he was a worthy member of that cast at his best. Uh, he might not have been the most talented or, you know, the most famous or the most prolific, but he was, he was an excellent player for a while. You know, I mean, how, how many years yeah. was it? Yeah. And I think that the frustrating thing again with his legacy is that, as I say, like with Busquets, his consistency is what made him so, so special mm -hmm. because he was so elite for so long. And Alba is where that debate, I kind of, kind of go sideways because he, when his drops and his bad moments, mm -hmm. His bad moments, as I, I said, they were so memeable from the yeah. last 10 years. Oh, they're like catastrophic. His, oh, like when it goes wrong, yeah. it goes completely wrong. Right. And I think for those <clears> who are never or never going to give him his flowers, never going to give him his respect, that is what they're going to hang their hat on. They, they, yeah. they say that I cannot possibly compliment this man because of how low his lows were. Because it's true. Like his lows were so much lower than Eric Abidal's. So if you're just judging them on what their highs were and what their baseline performance was, then, yeah, again, you have an argument that Abidal was just consistently every game you knew what you were going to get out of him, as opposed to Albo, who in the biggest moments. When well, the I was going to say, right, yeah, I was just going to yeah, say the biggest yeah. moments, like the, that, that murderer's row of Champions League flameouts, you know, Roma, yep. Liverpool, pick a Bayern, you know, like just. Yeah, but, I, but I've never understood the, the crying against Liverpool thing. Uh, I mean, and again, we, we, we talk about this. Oh, I don't, I, I don't think it's that big a deal, you know, but. Yeah. But, it, but, it's, but it's a matter of, like, I mean, you want players who play with passion. You want players yes. who play for your team, and you want them to care. And then if, you don't, if they don't care in the proper way or they're not caring at the right time, or, like, we don't – nobody knows. Like, no one ever knows what that emotional reaction was in response to. And so, like, Look, I don't honestly, know. Like, in, in that big moment, there, there might be some players who would cry in that moment. And in that moment, if he made the play to – you know, if after crying and, you know, everyone's seeing that and everything – if a play is made and the the tie is saved and you're off to the final of the Champions League, that that crying gets you know lionized. It's beyond forgotten. If 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 Usmane Dembele finishes on the, on the counter attack, yeah, yeah. if he finishes that goal in the first leg, yeah, we'll never speak about Jordi Alba, right? And so like yeah, yeah it's true and absolutely that that unfortunately for him, he is the victim of the circumstance that one moment yeah. can absolutely change your legacy. If they survive that, that tie, his crying is sort of, it's the stuff of legend. It's, you know, like a, a team legend wearing his heart on his sleeve yeah. in, a, in a big moment. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and I think why, again, not to say why he would be a legend or not, but he obviously does have a story that is mm -hmm. intertwined and connected to the club and will be for forever. He first joined Barca's Academy in 1998, but left in 2005, spending time with both Cornea and Valencia before returning to Barcelona in 2012. So he was gone for about seven years there in a transfer worth 14 million euros. And it's very much like Rakitic, I'll say it again, that 14 million euros at the time in 2012 when he was bought winds up being really, 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 really good value. Now, they also paid him, as we've said many times, a very hefty salary. So while the transfer number was fair, the salary I mean, he was, again, it's funny that in it's one breath, I comfortably into the eight figures. <laughs> well, I was going to say in one breath, I call him the leg a legend and the other breath I say, but was he actually overpaid? Right. Like this is a top 50 player in my opinion, but yeah. also he might have been overpaid because of just how much that Bartomeu and company paid him while he was at the oh, exactly. Incredible. Look, it was, it was similar to the thing you remember, and sorry, this will be my last NBA reference, but remember that last two year contract that Kobe got with the Lakers and yeah. you know, every NBA head was like, oh my God, I can't believe the Lakers are overpaying. Look, in a situation like that, the team wasn't going to be any better. And European football doesn't work like the NBA. Like, there's you're not you're not relying on draft classes and things like that. 
Yeah, there's a, well, there's also yeah. no legacy thank yous. Like, I mean, that's the whole thing about the Messi thing. Even there's no mm. like, like saying thank mm. you to a player is way too costly. Like, you cannot yeah. fit that salary structure if you're gonna try to contend for championships. You can't say. I mean, the only example maybe is Scott Carson, yeah. the third goalkeeper for Man City. So yes, you could keep a third goalkeeper yeah. <laughs> who's like a great guy, like yeah. until he's forty, and that's not a big deal. But you cannot use a spot on an outfield player with salary. Well, also, for, I mean, just for that price, you know, like if he was making, you know, five million a year, you're like, okay, fine, that's that's squad depth. But like, you know, at your second highest salary or second, third, whatever it is, like that's yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, this year was, he was fourth, tied with Lewandowski okay. behind Justin Smith and the Young. Yep. So anyway, Mallorca is the final home game for Busquets and Alba. And apparently someone else, but I think that was just Gerard Romero getting a few things right and then taking liberties because he, and then they immediately said it wasn't Sergio Roberto, but a reminder too, not to, not to get off on Sergio Roberto here, but he, he in the same, uh, in a different way, I should say, for Busquets and Alba, again, they're 34 years old. Mm. They know that they're entering the twilight of their career. While he is hurt all the time, Roberto is still three years younger and does with this renewal make a very small and now a reasonable number next season. Yeah. Like, so there is really no reason for Roberto at 31 to admit the way that Busquets and Alba have admitted. As I said, they have left, if anything, at the right time yeah. where Busquets, I could see him having, and I said it, having a lot of use next year in the same respect. If I'm asking, if you want me to have 34 year old, 35 year old Alba next season as a backup to Balde or to Marcus Alonso, I'm taking Alba because of the contributions he made as a backup this year. And that's why Alba is also leaving because he believes he still has a lot left to give maybe at the highest level, or maybe he's going to make a lot of money in Saudi Arabia. But either way, the credit to Alba, because not say unlike Busquets, but Alba watched Balde come up, take his spot, took it in stride. And if anything, as ornery and again, the squirrel that he is like (laughs) for as, as, as frustrating as it seems like his character was and how he seemed to always poke the bear and, you know, get the yellows and have this mercurial um, personality on the field, the way that the messy responses and the way his teammates have responded to him, the way that the club has responded to him. And even the way, again, that he basically stayed out of public eye this year as Balde took his spot. He has left the club in the best way possible for all, for for the player that we kind of expected, like there was a way that Alba, again, like because of what we know of him on the field, didn't leave the right way, but he is more than than left the right way. You know, it, it is kind of it was it's just, good. To it was say, very, okay. it was a very impressive. You know, you can tell that he's. I don't know anything about his off pitch personality, but you can. It, it suggests to me that he has a high degree of self awareness, and a, he has a particular standard that you know, despite what. Everyone's screaming online every time he made a mistake. And look, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to pretend I was the biggest Jordi Alba fan all the time. But he kept playing till the end. He has an understanding of where he is, you know, as a player and where his game is. And, you know, there might be greener pastures. I mean, it might just be, it's unpleasant to stick around here and you go get the last payday, like you said, in Saudi Arabia or Qatar or wherever it is. But... Yeah. I mean, that payday would be way, way more. That's why I do think this is linked to, like, Busquets because, again, the money he would have made at Barcelona is actually more than he would have made anywhere else next season but Saudi Arabia yeah. um, easily because he cannot make that much. But, I mean, all in all, I think, you know, an, an excellent career. I think the, yeah, sort of he's in that tier of the, the Michael Cooper tier, sort of in the in the hierarchy of, of a club with a massive and star-studded history. Yeah, and one of the last things I will say about Alba is that over the course of the last six years watching every single match, when I say the phrase second gear Alba, mm-hmm. I'm going to try to almost keep saying that because I can tell you that there is no player at FC Barcelona in the last six years that when we'll say the stakes are lower yeah. when they're playing Ethan in the first round of the Copa del Rey, there is no player who better epitomized the idea of second gear than Jordi Alba because I could tell from the first five minutes how hard the team was going to try yeah. based on how hard Jordi Alba was trying or even how many mistakes he was making. Because again, when he tried at the top of his game, when he was willing to run, yeah. he's a top three. I mean, what was Marcelo and who else yeah. from attacking fullbacks on the left side over the last 10 years, right? Like that is a very short list with him on it. And he was a top three to five attacking fullback yeah. over the last 10 years. I mean, without, without question. So again, when he wanted to yeah. <laughs> run and get forward and whatever he did. And so I just second gear Alba is a real thing. Oh, I, I went, absolutely believe it. 
look, not that I'm not doing the whole thing like, oh, these guys just look at it as a job. But, you know, after, you know, after a decade or, you know, decade and a half, like it is a job. You learn how to you learn how to manage the the emotional and physical toll of your work after doing it for so long. And sometimes you probably look and you're like, yeah, you know, we might even be able to win this in second year. But even if we lose it, it's not really the end. I'm like, you know, we'll bounce back. Yeah. I mean, it's funny though, that same campaign, I, I think back, I think the game that I most remember him with is a Granada, a Copa del Rey comeback from, I believe, two years ago when he was a part of uh, him and PK yeah. just kind of, you know, yeah, pushed them back yeah. to where they needed to be. And yeah, I just remember those moments too. Cause yeah, then he had that flip, that, that, that switch rather that he would flip. Um, and speaking of PK as well, now three of the four captains from the start of the yeah. season are out. PK, Alba Busquets, and I know that, again, people want to say goodbye to Roberto, and it seems like next year's captains basically pick themselves. Roberto, Ter Stegen, and then Levin, it sounds like Lewandowski and Araujo yeah. are shopping picks. Yep. If Messi returns, it's easy Messi over Araujo. So if Messi returns, yeah. it'll be Roberto, Ter Stegen, Messi as the one, and then Lewandowski, and then if not Messi returning, then it sounds like it'll be Roberto, uh, Ter Stegen, Araujo, and Lewandowski, but I could also see the young instead of Araujo based can on I, longevity. Can I can I give you kind of a hot take? Yeah, go ahead. Um, if Messi comes back, I take it from Lewandowski, not Araujo. You prefer Lewandowski over Araujo? No, no, no. I, I would give I would give Lewandowski's captainship to you know. I, I would basically of the four captains, I would take Lewandowski out and not Araujo. Araujo yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think that's that hot to take. I think. Yeah. I mean, I think people listening and people who watch every day, like they understand the importance that Araujo has. I think the only thing that's quote unquote disqualifying for him is just his age, which I don't know. It's like if you can play a 17 year old because if he's old enough, he's good enough. Then I yeah. say the same thing with the, a leadership position. If he's a, if he's good, if he's much of a leader, then he's old enough. The, like, and the know. and the sense he gives off, the feeling that he gives off is, you know, his health permitting. Um, he doesn't strike me. He's not a volatile player. Like he's, if he's healthy, he's going to be this rock on the back line for, I don't know, a, a decade, arguably as long as he wants, you know, if, uh, if his body holds up. So it's, well, it's yeah. the kind of player that you would be willing to kind of hit your, hit your wagon to and kind of bestow captaincy upon. Yeah. I mean, and just for the aesthetics of it, I could tell you that looking at, if it is Roberto number one captain next year, yeah. If I'm Ter Stegen, I'm like, okay, I'm basically Barcelona's captain because on the field, yes. Ter Stegen would likely be wearing the armband, yeah. like, what, 75% of the time? I mean, because I can't imagine Roberto's going to get more minutes next season, which does, is, transitions us perfectly <laughs> to that right-back, center-back spot. Now, Koundé has come out, and Koundé has said, I'm not going anywhere. This got out of control. The That's weird thing about this, I find this to be a weird story, though, because th- there was a number. It was 80 to 90 min- million. The club was not willing to sell him. Unless it was that number, 80 to 90, where they could immediately reinvest. They could immediately bring in Juan Foyth. That would be the name that would immediately come in as a center back slash right back combination player. And it does appear that Real Sociedad is getting the last Champions League spot over Real, which thanks to their Barca win. Maybe that's some 4D chess by Barcelona. <laughs> maybe they, they lost Real by the lead just to get Juan Foyth. Uh, he is still under contract, so Villarreal doesn't have to sell. Um, but Xavi wants Foyth as a defensive ball playing right back. He can also cover at center back. And I think it's still fair for the club to be going for Foyth, even though Kunde wants to play center back. And Xavi would have to problem solve and figure out a way to rotate everybody and hope that nobody, you know, gets too frustrated next season. But for, I don't know, the weird part of that story was that clearly it was, come, it, it, it was a clear thing because of Alemani's comments about handling internal things internally when it came to the Kunde stuff. Like he didn't like completely disparage it. He didn't throw it away. And it took, what was it? 48 hours or 96 hours or something for, for Kune to put that story to rest. So it's almost yeah. as if everybody went through the motions of saying, how possible is it for Kune to leave? And then at some juncture, I think there came an agreement between the club and the player immediately to say, okay, I think we're just going to keep things the, the way, the way they are. Yeah. And look, I don't know what exactly was behind, you know, what happens behind closed doors and, the rumors came out and yeah, because more often than not, you would think that as a welcome change, I don't want to speculate too much, but it's, it is curious. I would be very interested to know the thought process that, that went into the last couple of days between the, the rumors and, and Kunde's sort of recommitment to the club. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, with Inigo Martinez likely being the first to arrive this summer, then Ronald Araujo, Andres Christensen, 
And then the, the shells of Marcos Alonso and Eric Garcia, the club may have to live with that for just next season of Kunde. But lastly, I think the, 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 the thing I want to end the show by talking about is something that we've been talking about now for a year that I have YouTube videos on, that I've had names thrown at you for the last, again, two years or more about which players should come in to be the understudy for uh, Busquets. <laughs> now who's going to come in as a pivot? The club is going to bring in pivots. And now there seems to be an official mm-hmm. list of the ones that, again, the, the clock has struck midnight. Busquets is actually leaving. So it's time for the club to go out and get a pivot. There yeah. is super. I might even do a YouTube video on this, a deeper dive on all these players. But again, the news changes so fast and players are put on this list and taken off this list. But it seems like as of this week, here's the list for you. Martin Zubamendi. We already talked about it. I, I'm not going to do it again. 60 million euro release clause. He said no. He said no. Continue. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen with that one, but he is Xavi's pick. That is the number one option. Yeah. There is no secrets here. <laughs> there everyone yeah. is, everyone, the cards are laid completely on the table. Mm-hmm. 60 million is the number. Do Barca have 60 million to pay his release clause? And even if they do, is he willing to say yes if it's with his boyhood club in the Champions League? Who knows? At this point, the answer has been no. And again, until Barca yeah. does pay that release clause, we don't know if he's going to change the answer to yes. But at this juncture, the answer would be no. So not say I would throw him out. But there's reasons why he's still on the table and the number one. I just can't tell if that's a hubris of FC Barcelona. All right. The next one is Guido Rodriguez, 29-year-old Real Batiste midfielder, more of a destroyer type, World Cup winner. He's not my cup of tea, but if you're bringing back mm-hmm. Messi, there is definitely some connectivity that could be useful. Mm-hmm. And he has Messi's, we'll say, trust. And that is, again, very yeah. important team with Messi in it. Next one is Arthur Vermeeren. I want to say I'm saying that right. But I spent mm-hmm. an hour watching him as much of, <laughs> as much of him as I said as I could. But because I couldn't even watch actual game action, I didn't even know how to pronounce his name properly. Because again, I'm just watching those terrible, terrible like EDM and tech beats. Yeah. Highlights. So I don't have anything to report because again, I just saw highlights. <laughs> it <laughs> seems like he does see the field well for a, a seven or an 18 year old. And he has that nice little lofted ball into the box that at least works in the Belgian first division. It is something he will definitely have in his bag as he continues to improve. Sure. But again, like when it comes to the pivot, you have to watch entire game. You have to watch multiple yeah. games. So I have nothing to report. I can say with confidence, I have nothing to report on him. He's 18 also. So just a year older than Barca's own Pau Prim, who is doing well at the Euro U17 right now. Sure. So I don't know where the club does see Pau Prim. Like his body has to change a little bit. But it seems like Vermeeren was a regular rotation piece for Royal Antwerp in the Belgian First Division, starting about half their games. So you either get him for $10 million now or $7 million now, whatever Royal Antwerp are asking, or you probably can't afford him later after another cash-heavy club snatches him up. So if there are scouts at Barcelona that are really, really sold on this kid <laughs> in three years' time and saying, this is our guy, are you willing? And I don't think Xavi and the board are. Are you willing to invest in a project like him? Now, the only reason I would bring him up and potentially you go for him for $7 million is that if you bring somebody like Oro Romeu for $3 million in as well. And almost like you package yeah. it together, or maybe you bring in you bring in Vermeerine and then Amrabat you can get for twelve million, and you say, okay, we spent twenty five million on two pivots. Not yes, either of them are the consummate starter, but we can survive this year because if we get the potential one right, that looks great, and Amrabat is serviceable enough for this season. If De Young isn't even an option, or if Nico doesn't return and he's not in the plans or to me that that would be the name so i'm almost over this list here then i'll throw it over to you nevish 26 player uh it's 26 year old for wolves he's a mendez client of course so that uh, when i say mendez i mean laporte's choice sorry (laughs) there so i've seen plenty of him in the past i've watched wolves in the past but i haven't seen much of them this season i'll be honest about that and wolves results have been mixed and apparently still has his performances Apparently, he has not really excited people, including Wolves fans. So for 45 million euros, I'm not entirely sold on the idea of Ruben Nevis, but Barca may also not have any other options. So I think you're going to continue to have him be named until somebody is signed. Because if Laporta wants him, if they want to get a deal done, if they want to swap out another player with him to try to lower that number, and they want to make this happen, as in like the Laporta and some of the people on his board, then they're going to make it happen. Like That's what happens when the president picks players. And then Bot. In a similar light, Fiorentina fans have not been sold in his performances this year outside of the World Cup, which everybody got to watch. So everyone has their scouting report from the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because with Amrabat, I do oscillate between thinking that because he was already almost over the line in January, that means that he would most likely find his way to Barca in the summer. 
But then right. the other names are immediately linked with Barcelona. And then I say, well, if Barcelona are going to get anybody else, I think they're going to try for everybody else, basically. You know what I mean? Like, Amabat is not their first, second, third, fourth, fifth choice right. as a player. But as far as the transfer, he's the first choice because he's the one who keeps saying yes, is willing to push for push for that move to make sure yes. he can agree to it, and he's willing to come on reasonable wages. So his willingness to come, I think, again, because Zubamendi is saying no and other players might be too expensive, because of his willingness to come, that might, you know what I mean? It might just you be... Might, he might be the most valuable player on that list, right. you know, from a Barca perspective. It might be 2 a.m. at the Catalan bar, and then... I was, I was just going to say, I was... Uh... Okay, so four more names. N'Golo Conte offered to Barcelona as he's becoming a free agent, 32-year-old free agent. He played nine games this season. So whatever yeah. I you have of, what is it, 32 or 33-year-old N'Golo Conte in your head? Well, yeah, 32-year-old. Whatever idea you have of Conte in your head, uh, he played nine games a season, so I, yeah, I don't. It's not, it's not the dude from Leicester or um, probably not, or, or you know, peak the peak Chelsea years. Yeah, and the reason I go back to Oral or Romeo, I already mentioned him. Mm-hmm. Uh, offered to Barcelona from Girona, he has a contract till twenty twenty five. But being that he'll be thirty two next season, that buyout should be rather simple to get done. He just arrived yeah. this season, by the way, from Southampton, and I did watch enough Girona this season to tell you that I think he would definitely survive in the Liga as as their pivot in the Liga. I think that of that level and of all these options, as I said, I actually think he would fit best next to De Jong in that box four midfield or as a double pivot. So whatever you want to call it, I think he was just, he was sturdy. He was calm. He was precise. That's what you mean. And why, again, I would push for Oral Romeo just a bit of what I've seen is that he allowed Elias Garcia the freedom that De Jong needs. So Alex Garcia was one of the best players in the Liga this entire season due to the fact that Oro Romeu was that, that force behind him, not even a destroyer type, but that pivot behind him, being that player that you needed to support him. So I think if you want to see the best version of De Young next season as well, I would be confident in Oro Romeu, at least in the Liga, helping you do that. Does that player help you win the Champions League? Absolutely not. No, no. way does Oro Romeu raise your ceiling in every way. But... If you're afraid that you're not going to get anybody else again with those musical chairs, I think that he has a high enough floor. And I was going to say, I think he's a little bit more of a floor raiser or, you know, yeah. floor solidifier than, than any kind of, you're not worried about his ceiling. Yep. Okay. So just a few more names here. It appears that I'm almost out here. It appears that Mauricio Diaz, who we spoke about before, the teenager from Uruguay, he's not seen as a first team option for next season. But as I said before, he's not really a pivot either. He's more of a box-to-box player that is comfortable in deeper position. So, yeah, I, I think that it's still – he is one for the future, so we're not throwing his name for next year. And then I do wonder where Nico Gonzalez will fit into the plans. But I think he fits in as Kessie's replacement if Barca chooses to cash in on Kessie this summer. Nico's salary is a whole lot cheaper than Kessie's, yeah. and I can see Barca having promised that kind of move in their viability plan. So the only way I think Nico, again, sticks around is not as a pivot. Like, I mean, I think mm. it would make sense where instead of having Eric Garcia change to being a pivot, that you say, Nico, we're going to give you as many opportunities as possible to have you play it in double pivot. Yes. But you're also the backup the minute we can afford someone like Zubamendi or somebody else. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. From yeah, a roster sense, again, I expect him to actually probably be loaned or sold again if Kessie yeah. plays. And if Kessie is gone, then he just kind of takes that roster spot and doesn't take over a, the pivot spot, if you will. Right. And then the last two names, as I expected, I was right about this, but it's easy to be right about this kind of stuff. Joshua Kimmich wasn't a real possibility, and I know everybody has their favorites, but Sporting CP's Manuel Aguarte is being looked at as an option instead of Aguarte is either PSG or EPL bound. So it sounds like I know people like Aguarte, but so does PSG and EPL teams who can pay 10 times the salary or whatever, right. five times the salary that Barcelona can. They can afford higher fees and higher wages. Yeah, so I think that's why you're not seeing Guarte at all because he is going to make more money and break Barcelona's salary structure. So they have already disqualified that name and they don't need to announce that they think he's a good pivot because it seems like he's a good player and everybody yeah. knows that now the secret's out of the bag. So those are all your picks, mm-hmm. Emil. So give me, uh, as we round out the show, give me some thoughts. Give me the players. I mean, I, I'm not telling you to rank them, but yeah, give me some of uh, your, your feelings about who you've seen and what players would excite you and which ones wouldn't. So, I mean, of the... Of the players that we talked about, the the two, I mean, I guess to me, the two best known are Joshua Kimmich and Zubamendi. Both are excellent players. Both are not coming. So, I mean, I just, it, you know, in a sense, like Joshua Kimmich would be 
he'd be the dream. I mean, of course he would, but I never gave any, I never put any uh, weight in, in the Kimmich rumors and, you know, Zubimendi doesn't want to come. And yeah, I, mean, but I, w- I would go zero on Kimmich and 20% on, on Zubimendi. I would take that liberty. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the, the way that I'm thinking about it is, uh, you know, the whole, the, it's his boyhood club. They're in the champions league in the group stage and presumably they want to put in a, a respectable showing in the champions league. So I could see them look a year from now, his value is not going to be dramatically diminished. So, you know, maybe you keep him at least one more year you know, try to try to do something in the champions league and then, and then move on from him. But either way, I mean, I don't foresee him showing up here. I mean, I think, you start have to you know, start having to get into sort of how functional, you know, a functional style of player. I mean, I think that's where Romeo is an, an interesting call because you're not going to replace Busquets. Like you don't have someone who is has that the 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 Barcelona style of playing that position ingrained in his brain, ready to go. So for that reason, I mean, I think you you take the floor raiser or floor solidifier in in Romeo. And maybe you take a flyer on on one of the teenagers, and you know, hopefully, hopefully you unearth something. You know, a couple of years down, but in the meantime, Romeo can serve just as a functional, reasonably competent space filler at that position until you find a, a longer term solution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I, I'm not like going crazy and be like, oh, mm-hmm. if they don't, if they miss out on whatever Romeo at the end of the world. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying yeah. that I, I'm I'm almost saying that he feels to me to be a Especially if you're, again, bringing in from your end where it is a lesser of two evils to basically say, all right, we're actually going to take two stats at this, where we know what Oro, we know exactly what Oro Romeo is giving us. And yeah. he's, again, not helping us win the Champions League. But then you do ask yourself about the project. Like, that is the risk that if you bring in an Amrabat, then you're bringing in Amrabat to be your starter. You're bringing in Amrabat yeah. to help you win a Champions League, right? You're bringing in Ruben Nevish to help you win a Champions League. And so that's, again, the argument I'm making that I don't think Nevish or Amrabat help you win a Champions League um, no. as much as, 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 again, if you're taking a flyer on Vermeerian for the next three years. Like, does, yeah. does that player at 22 help you? I mean, if you really believe in his potential, does yeah. that player at 22 for 8 million euros now or 7 million euros or 10, whatever it is, does that player in three years help you win a Champions League more likely than Nevis and Amrabat? And my answer... Yeah, Nevis for 45 million, 100% yes. Well, maybe. I mean, we don't, again, we don't know, like, it's again, the kid's 18 years old. Like, you, you don't know how oh, yeah. he's going to... I mean, I guess more so than I'm saying is the, the notion of placing that 8 million euro wager on this particular transfer feels yeah. much more prudent than whatever... 45 for Nevis, for exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. The, I mean, the, the, the best and the worst thing about Ruben Nevis is that we, we know what he is. We know what player he is. At yeah. least you can dream on the the teenagers, you know, and just you know, the, you might unearth a superstar or something like that. Whereas, if you pay forty five million for Ruben Neves, you're basically you're paying full price for something that's functional, fine, but nothing special. Yeah, and I think there's a world too. Like it's this is a weird world where it feels like Barcelona can get say business done up front and enough business done up front like if they are choosing to sell, to sell Abde yep. there are suitors for Abde there are plenty of suitors like Osasuna would love to have him back yep. like they're going to suffer without him next season they would love to have him back but a club is likely going to pay more for him yep. so if they want to ship him they're going to be able to ship him pretty early it seems like Langley instead of trying to find a club if Tottenham want him they can give they can basically not give him away but there's a price for him Tottenham can pay yep. it and and then they're done with that so yep. Titi it went from zero suitors for two years. Now there will be some suitors yep. to, I mean, where Barcelona can, can eat some of his final bit of wages. And again, remember, he he's going that, into the final year of his contract, right? Right. Well, remember, yeah, he extended so yeah. that he more wages to help him facilitate a loan move. Yeah. Uh, and he did that and he helped the club out. So thank you to him. And now you can find him a, a new, a new place to be. And his, and again, this nightmare that he's had for the last few seasons yeah. can finally be over. And then, and, I have some confidence in a way that I didn't even last year. I know all those levers were pulled and all these players came, but I actually have more confidence in getting that other business done by getting rid of, again, like finding a market for X player that they want to get rid of and getting them out pretty early where you might have the ability, that being Barcelona too, if especially with Alba, his contract going off the books, and you have a one-to-one. I'm being overly optimistic, but people know money-wise, I'm generally pretty pessimistic, right? Like I'm pretty honest about it. And so 
there is this world of just doing the math that Barcelona can get to the 1v1 rather early yep. and by selling enough players very quickly and just getting getting done with, again, Lang Lang, T, business they have to do. Yep. Getting that business done rather quickly. There is this world where the club can come in, can buy, we'll say three players they're very excited about and three players they feel like they have to get to fill needs. Like there is a world yeah. where Barcelona do have five or six players coming in. Um, whether Messi is or not is like is not the point. He would obviously be the headline for all yeah. the other reasons. But in truth, you could bring in five players that could be exciting in the same way that last summer I mean, they brought in Marcus Alonso, but they also did bring in Kunde and Lewandowski, and they brought in Pablo Torre as a young player for this yep. year. So there was a number of players who, who who arrived to the club that you could be excited about, and, and even Andres Christensen. Now we we weren't excited about him then, but it's certainly no. Kunde one of the he was one of the most underrated or kind of the, one of the unsung heroes of the season. Yep. And so I mean, those players are out there, and look, there is something really instructive about this in that. Look, I'm not saying you're always going to be able to get, you know, a, a veteran on a free transfer who, you know, the change of scenery allows him to contribute to you right away and you get incredible value for money. But a little bit, I'm thinking that it's not a bad thing to actually try. You know what I mean? To to get, you know, flyers on, on veterans like that, because also every time you hit on a deal like that, it frees up more of your budget to take home run swings. And, you know, to try to bring in superstars. I would like to see two or three players sort of in that, an attempt to replicate the the Christiansen success of where you just really do go shop in the bargain bin and you find just capable, solid professionals who maybe their old club and just the market in general is, you know, extremely low on and try to play for a bounce back, uh, you know, here or there. And... Well, the yeah. only argument of that is that for every Andres Christensen, there's a Marcus Alonso. That's the argument that like they can't. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, but I mean, I guess the thing is, there's a yeah, there's a reason these players are cheap or or free, um, you know. But it's like the NFL thing when they say like you know the, the quarterback on a rookie deal is the most valuable thing. I think if you're able to get kind of rock solid, reliable play for relatively pennies or dimes on the dollar. Um, in building a top-level football team, I think that's probably the most valuable type of contract or, you know, valuable kind of category of player. Someone who is, you know, experienced and, you know, just regular, you know, steady and competent, but not highly valued by the market uh, because that just allows you so much more dry powder to go and try to, yeah. you know, short up the, the rest of the roster. Yeah, and I'll say that if Barcelona are going to get back to the one-to-one, if you thought there were rumors and names thrown out over the last few seasons, you just wait because if Barcelona are back to one, one-to-one, oh. it's a hurricane of transfer news. So anyway, well, I plan on covering all that stuff. Um, and hopefully the Mallorca game, a goodbye to Busquets, goodbye to Alba, and you know who cares if there's an industry third player or not. It's kind of saying goodbye to, uh, yeah, I say club legends in full voice about yeah. Alba. So. Again, if you like this show, if you follow us on YouTube or TikTok or Twitter or Facebook, wherever you find us, Patreon's a big help as well. We always appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Before